Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 104, Obscene Amounts of Cash. I am Neil. Since we last talked, Apple reported earnings. For what was expected to be a relatively straightforward quarter, there were a number of surprises. I came up with the five major themes from Apple's earnings. I went through the earnings release, management's conference call, and my Apple earnings model. We'll talk a little bit more about those major themes at the end of the episode. Today's episode is going to be based on the most intriguing number from Apple's earnings. It wasn't iPhone sales. It wasn't iPad. It had nothing to do with services growth. It was free cash flow. Apple reported nearly $6 billion of free cash flow. For some people, that number may not seem too remarkable. Because if you look at Alphabet, that company had $4.6 billion of free cash flow. However, when you consider that the third quarter is Apple's weakest quarter, and said this is a company, their strongest quarter is the first quarter. That's the holiday quarter. And you also get a lot of iPhone sales from that September launch. When you take that into consideration, Apple is just generating so much cash, it boggles the mind. And it really got me thinking, what is it about Apple's business model that leads to all of this free cash flow generation? So over the past two weeks, I've been looking through a lot of 10Qs and 10Ks to compare Apple to the leading consumer-facing tech companies. Because I wanted to see just how is Apple's free cash flow generation compared to everybody else. Usually, the focus is on Apple's cash balance. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Or the focus is on iPhone sales leading to such strong revenue. But I don't think there's enough attention placed on free cash flow. And upon a closer examination, I think Apple's business model actually predisposes the company to cash generation, unlike any other firm. Said another way, I think Apple possesses the best business model in the world when it comes to generating cash. The best place to begin this episode is to go over the numbers. And there is a corresponding weekly article over at AboveAvalon.com that has all these numbers there. There's a number of exhibits as well, so feel free to head on over there. When it comes to the numbers, my focus was on keeping this very simple. I didn't want to really go outside the technology sector. I didn't want to go into the energy sector because I think that was pretty irrelevant at this point. Instead, I wanted to compare Apple to the giants. Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook. I also looked at Microsoft, but then I made the decision that I want to focus on consumer-facing companies. And I had trouble putting Microsoft in that bucket. So I ended up with four companies that I did most of my comparison for. And what ended up happening was in each one of these totals, we'll talk about revenue, operating income, then we'll go over to the cash flow statement. The numbers were just daunting. I think that's the best way of describing it. And by the way, all of these numbers are trailing 12 months. So that's the past year. Made it a little bit complicated trying to get all this data, but I think it's the most relevant number to talk about. So in terms of revenue, 
Apple, $224 billion of revenue. If you put Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook together, their total revenue is $271 billion. So Apple's revenue is 83% the combined revenue of those three companies. That's pretty remarkable. The thing is, when you move down the income statement, it becomes even more interesting. If you look at operating income, so this is before taxes, Apple had $60 billion. That was nearly 50% more than the combined operating income of Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon. If you add those three companies, it only came up to $42 billion. So you can see what's going on. The discrepancy between Apple and its peers, it's quite high with the revenue line item, but as you move down towards the bottom of that income statement, the discrepancy builds. Then you switch over to the cash flow statement. And I do agree that I think this is needed, especially when you look at companies like Amazon. They're investing quite a bit in their business. You don't get the full story if you just look at the income statement. And given my history as a financial analyst and also someone covering Apple finances for quite a while, I have a tendency of always sort of going to the cash flow statement. I seem to get the most value from that statement versus, say, the income statement or even just the balance sheet. So if you look at operating cash flow, Apple had $64 billion. If you look at Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon, those three companies totaled $72 billion. So Apple had about 90% the amount of operating cash flow that those three companies had. One way of thinking about this is that Amazon is doing as well financially as Facebook. Because I think for Amazon, that operating cash flow number is probably the most relevant number to use for them. So Amazon, Facebook, they're about doing even. They're about even with each other. Google is generating as much cash as Amazon and Facebook put together. And then you have Apple. They're generating as much cash as Amazon, Facebook, and Google combined. And similar to the income statement, when you move down the cash flow statement, this discrepancy builds. Apple is kicking off free cash flow at rates that just aren't seen elsewhere. Silicon Valley, the world, wherever you look, you don't find companies that are doing what Apple is doing. Free cash flow isn't talked about much unless you are within finance circles. So for our discussion, I'm going to keep the description pretty straightforward because I actually think you don't need to get too complicated here. Free cash flow is a measure of how much cash a company generates after taking into account capital expenditures and other costs associated with running the business. So what that means is if a company is buying a lot of equipment to maintain the business, or even if a company tends to buy companies to maintain its growth, you need to take into account the cash that's spent on those expenses. Exclude those expenses from operating cash flow, and the end result's free cash flow. And I like to think of this as truly excess cash. 
This is cash that you can use for new ventures. This is cash that you could give to shareholders in the form of dividends, or you could buy back stock with it. It's basically cash that you could do whatever you want with it. And when you look at Apple, it seems like they're having trouble getting rid of this cash. And this is sort of what we talked about in episode 102. Apple has $154 billion of net cash on the balance sheet. And I actually got a lot of questions about this over the past two weeks. So what's the difference between net cash, gross cash, which number should you be looking at, and what is Apple doing with all of this cash? Is it invested in something? Is it literally just sitting in a bank somewhere? There are two ways of looking at Apple's cash totals. You can look at it on a gross basis. That's $262 billion, and that includes any cash that was from debt issuance. And so Apple had $108 billion of debt. That's included as part of that total. But what you can also do is exclude the debt. Theory being, well, you have to pay for it eventually. So let's exclude $108 billion from the 262. You end up with a net cash basis, $154 billion. Personally, I don't think it's a big deal whichever number you use, as long as you're very clear in is it net cash, is it gross cash. Usually, if you're comparing cash totals between companies, you probably want to talk about net cash. Also, if you want to talk about excess cash, and so that's the amount of cash that Apple could spend on capital management, you probably want to focus on net cash as well. So that's why for the article, I basically just focus on net cash. I excluded debt from the discussion. In terms of what Apple does with that cash, they invest it. That's why on the balance sheet or when you talk in technical terms, it really isn't just cash. It's cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities. The best way of thinking about this is Apple has its own hedge fund and management gives this entity one job or one task, and that is don't lose the money. Don't invest in the stock market. Don't buy junk bonds. Don't try to chase yield. Instead, most of the cash is put either in corporate securities, U.S. Treasury securities. There's a small amount in mortgage and asset-backed securities. This is all high-quality stuff. So what that means is Apple's not really making a ton from this investment portfolio. It's around probably 2% or so. It actually comes out to a lot on an absolute basis. It's about $5 billion per year, so that's enough to fund Apple's new headquarters. But you don't really have to be too concerned with, say, market volatility or if you had market dislocations in the fixed income world. It really isn't going to cause too much harm to Apple's balance sheet. So that's the cash total. And what's happened over the past couple of years, if you go back to since 2012, Apple has spent $216 billion on share buyback and dividends, and yet their net cash level has still increased by $33 billion over the same time period. What that means is that Apple is generating so much cash, they can't spend it fast enough. They could have bought back more stock they could have paid out more dividends, and their cash total would have still increased. The numbers are daunting when you really take a closer look at them. 
So with all this data in our possession, what's the next step here? What I wanted to do was begin answering the question, how does Apple actually generate all of this cash? And when you talk about Apple finances, most of the discussions, they just focus on the iPhone. And people say, well, the iPhone is popular. They're selling a lot of those phones, and that's what's causing the balance sheet to get so bloated. That's what's causing free cash flow to do so well. And while that is true, while the iPhone is certainly contributing to Apple's strong financial state, the iPhone, of course, counts for about 60% of Apple's revenue, it doesn't tell the full story. There's a lot more that's going on. Said another way, I sort of want to know, well, what about the iPhone is causing Apple to get so much free cash flow? Because you have other companies that are selling gadgets and they're not making the same amount of money per device. Is Apple just charging more per iPhone or per iPad? Is that what's going on? Well, consider a few things. When you look at Apple's current product line, the company has the most profitable smartphone, the most profitable tablet, the most profitable laptop and desktop, the most profitable smartwatch, the most profitable pair of wireless headphones, the most profitable streaming TV box. Consider how there's very few hardware manufacturers that are even making money selling smartphones and tablets. If you look at the components business, that doesn't come close to Apple-like profitability. Laptop, desktop manufacturers, they would want Mac margins any day. Wearables. No one's really selling smartwatches other than Apple. Even something like an Apple TV. So from a sales perspective, it's pretty minor. But I think that's grabbing profit in an otherwise profitless industry. So how do you explain all of that? Because when you then consider Apple Watch and wireless AirPods are underpriced versus the competition, the MacBook is actually priced competitively with laptops with similar specs. The iPhone is, believe it or not, priced competitively with Samsung's flagship Galaxy smartphones. So this doesn't seem to make any sense. It seems like Apple's product line, it's priced competitively to peers, and yet Apple's really the only one making a lot of profit. There is something more here than just pricing behind Apple's ability to extract profit from an industry. This is why I think Apple's entire business model predisposes the company to superior free cash flow generation. This is where we have to dissect the Apple cash machine. And I think the best place to begin is to look at Apple's business model. I think there are three tenets, three core beliefs that underpin Apple's business model. The first is placing the product above all else. So when you look at Apple's superior free cash flow generation, I don't think it starts with Apple selling iPhones to people. Instead, I think it starts all the way back in the research and development labs. I think it starts with how Apple comes up with products. Simply put, I think management is motivated by coming up with great products, not making massive profits. Now, this is a point of, I'll just say, disagreement among people. 
Because a lot of outside observers, they think that's just talk. They think it's just PR. What company will go around saying that they really care about profits? You hear Apple executives, they make the point all the time. They don't care about money. They care about great products. Is that believable? Well, I think when you look at Apple's financial performance, it backs up management's claims. I don't think this is a company that designs and sells products to drive revenue. Instead, the way management thinks about this is if they can come up with great products, they are confident that consumers will like that product, and then eventually revenue and profit will follow. So what this means is that Apple's motivation is just very different than most companies. And this results in a very unique product strategy. You can look at the number of iPhone models that they sell. You can look at the number of product categories that they play in. It's not many. And this brings us to the second core belief underpinning Apple's business model, staying focused. Apple values the art of focusing, saying no to great ideas in order to concentrate on the really great ideas. And in this respect, I think it goes all the way back to the R&D efforts. If you look at the amount of money Apple spends on R&D as a percent of revenue, it's well below its peers. If you look at Apple's M&A strategy, Apple's very deliberate in what it buys. They want to buy technology and people that are able to plug holes in the asset base. Everything they do here is having focus in mind. And then the third idea or belief that's underpinning Apple's business model is relying on contract manufacturers. It may seem a little odd to talk about that in terms of underpinning a business model, but Apple is a product company that relies on others to assemble its products. And contract manufacturers end up playing a very big role. Because what happens here is Apple brings in significant amounts of cash from hardware sales. But the company's free cash flow generation receives a very big boost because Apple uses contract manufacturers. And so what that means is Apple doesn't have a web of factories located around the world. Instead, what they do is they invest in the equipment and machinery located in other companies' factories. Apple doesn't have to spend as much on capital expenditures. Right now, Apple's on track to spend about $15 billion on CapEx this year. If you look at Alphabet or Amazon, they aren't too far behind in terms of the amount that they're spending on capital expenditures. And this is despite them having such a smaller revenue base. And so what this tells us is that a significant portion of Apple's operating cash flow ends up as free cash flow. It's truly excess cash. So those contract manufacturers, they play a very big part in Apple's free cash flow generation. So if you take those three core tenets or beliefs and you combine them, I think they play a big role in Apple selling highly profitable hardware that stands out from the competition. The next thing we can do is look at how these core beliefs come together to make Apple's business model stand out from its peers. I think there is one big difference. It's subtle, but it's very important between 
Apple's business model, and we can look at Alphabet, Amazon, and Facebook. When you look at Apple hardware, there are some products that go on to hold monopoly-like share in their category. Something like iPod, iPad, I actually think Apple Watch is trending in this same direction. Meanwhile, you have other products like the iPhone, the Mac, the Apple TV. They don't have monopoly-like market share, and so they actually have much lower sales share compared to their competitors. However, in nearly every one of these examples, regardless of market share, Apple ends up being the profit leader. How is that possible? I think Apple looks at scale differently than other companies. I don't think Apple views scale as a requirement to achieve success. And so what this means is it has major implications on Apple's pricing strategy and also how Apple thinks about monetization. If you look at Facebook and Google, I think they're doing this very differently. For those companies, scale is needed in order to reach success, in order to reach as many people and their data as possible. Why? Well, those companies need that additional data to enhance and improve their free services. If you look at Amazon, I think their business model is also dependent on scale, although a little bit of a different kind of scale. If you look at Amazon's transportation, logistics, cloud, artificial intelligence investments, all of that is being done to get us to buy more stuff through Amazon. I think that investment cycle will have to continue going forward. And it's all built on scale. It's all built on us. Well, we can't just buy stuff from other retailers. We really have to go through Amazon to make this all work. So in summary, I think Apple is a design company. They sell tools that foster superior experiences. The company views scale as a byproduct of a properly functioning business model. Facebook and Google, they're service companies. They offer free data capturing services to as many people as possible. And then you have Amazon. I think Amazon's a retail platform company. They're focused on getting you to buy more stuff. So for that company, scale is in terms of purchase value. You gotta keep that going up in order to keep the cash flow and reinvestment cycle continuing. Now, there are some exceptions to these summaries. Look at Apple Music. Look at Apple Pay. We have Apple services that need scale in order to be a better service to Apple users. But I don't think that really breaks apart what we've been talking about here. I think that only goes to reinforce the uniqueness found with Apple's business model. All of those Apple services... They're meant to increase the value found of Apple hardware. This is one reason why I still think there's just so much confusion and so much disagreement over Apple services, especially following this past quarter. I saw a lot of people saying Apple services is the next big thing or Apple services is the key to Apple's future. I just don't agree with that assessment. I don't think that's the best way of describing Apple's services business. 
if you look at the growth in that line item, a lot of it is due to Apple selling a lot of iPhones. It goes hand in hand. And so to say that Apple is somehow going away from being a product company and becoming a services company, I, I just don't agree with that. And we talked about this a while back. I don't think really we need to go into it at this point. But for our discussion, I think the main point is that Apple services increase the value found with Apple hardware. Taking everything that we've talked about already in terms of the core beliefs behind Apple's business model, the key difference between Apple's business model and its peers, I think we come up with what's going on here in terms of Apple's cash machine. I think Apple possesses the best business model for generating cash because the company is monetizing premium experiences much more effectively and efficiently than anyone else. So Apple doesn't chase scale. Their goal isn't to monetize data or usage. Instead, what they're doing is they're selling tools. It's another way of saying products. They're selling tools that management thinks people will want and that people are willing to pay for. Now, there is one point I wanted to make about scale. So we had just said that Apple doesn't need scale to be successful. However, it is important to point out that Apple benefits from scale in a few ways. We have economies of scale. So Apple can drive down product cost over time given larger component orders. So that improves both product accessibility. If you bring down the price, more people can buy your product. And also it, in one way or another, improves Apple profitability. The other thing that's very important is that if Apple can achieve economies of scale, if they can place very large component orders, there is an element here where Apple is competing against other companies by really not letting them get their hands on important components. So if you go back over time, really just during the smartphone and tablet era, there are examples of competitors not being able to get competitive components, the components that they need to go up against Apple products. That helps Apple very much. Again, I don't think Apple's business model is dependent on this. Instead, it's an outcome of a successful business model, but I did think it was important to mention. At this point, I think a real-world example is going to go very far. And so we can look at the stationary speaker market. And one reason why I picked this market is we're going to have Amazon, Google, Apple, and if the rumors are true, Facebook, all competing in what is still a very new industry. So that interests me. We can take a look at how each one of these companies plans on using its business model to generate cash. Over at AboveAvalon.com, I really went into detail with this example. But for this episode, I think we're going to skim through it. So if you want more information, check out the article. Let's start with Amazon. So here's a company selling a lineup of Echo hardware. What's the goal here? What is Amazon trying to do? They want to get their digital voice assistant, Alexa, in as many homes as possible. And they want you to use it more and more throughout the day. Why? They want to collect more data. That data is going to help them become a better and smarter retailer in the future. So what they're doing is they're giving away Echo hardware at cost 
or even a loss. There's massive sales every once in a while throughout the year. That's where I think they're getting most of their unit sales during these periods of promotions. In terms of monetization, it's not through Echo Hardware. Instead, it's through Prime subscriptions. That's Amazon's key cash generator. The interesting thing for Amazon is this works incredibly well. It's very successful. But what ends up happening is Amazon takes most of its operating cash flow and puts it back into the business. They reinvest it. And most people look at that and go, wow, Amazon is being a genius here. They're not reporting profit. They're putting it back into their business. They could report profit if they want to. I disagree with that point. I don't think this is as optional as people are making it out to be. I think Amazon needs to keep that reinvestment cycle going forward. And so what that means is that Amazon's business model, even though it's successful, it may just not be as good as other businesses in terms of excess cash. Google, Facebook, I combine the companies because I think they're very similar in this regard. Both want to capture customer data. Why? They use that data to power free services. They're not going to make money on hardware. Instead, they're going to monetize the data. We've seen how profitable this business model is over time. Wall Street likes it. They like the recurring revenue. They like the lack of volatility. A lot of that volatility that Apple may show. However, look what happens. Facebook and Google, they serve more customers than Apple, but they generate much less cash. I think that's pretty much, that sums it up. Is the home going to change that? Is the stationary speaker market going to change that? I don't think so. These two companies, they can grow the advertising pie, but I just don't think the overall profitability picture is going to really change too much. And then you have Apple. We talked about HomePod in detail in episode 99. This is being positioned as the best sounding speaker people have ever owned. So Apple's sales pitch here is we control both the hardware and the software. We have services like Apple Music that will work with it. We think people are going to want to own and use HomePod. How do they make money? Selling HomePods. They're priced at $349. I think that contains a profit margin that's equivalent to other Apple hardware. I would point out that that is not a high price compared to what you get. I actually think it's very competitive, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the episode. Apple is able to make profit from products, even though those products are priced competitively with peers. That's really the new normal here, and it's a very interesting story that's unfolding. And as for how this is happening, I think the answer is found inside these products. I think Apple has invested quite a bit in lowering its costs, improving its supply chain, working with contract manufacturers. I think that all comes together. And given Apple's prior success with its business model in terms of selling products that people want and working to improve those products over time in each new version, what ends up happening is they see growing sales. And so in a way, they're benefiting from that scale. Again, scale is a byproduct for Apple. It's not a requirement. So where does this leave us in terms of the stationary speaker market? I think Apple stands to earn more cash through hardware sales at a smaller scale than these other companies that are selling hardware either at a cost or for a loss, but monetizing in other ways. It is important to point out here that I'm not arguing that 
one model works and the other business models don't work. We talked about this early in the episode. Each one of these companies is making a lot of money. They're doing well. But when you look at the amount of cash that can be generated with these business models, I do think Apple's model stands out. And I don't think there really is a comparison. I don't think they're similar in that regard. This brings us to the last topic for today, and that is what happens going forward? So far, we're talking about the now. We're talking about how Apple's cash machine looks like right now. But if you look at all these competitors, they have stronger growth. The iPhone sales, they've stabilized. And so Apple's revenue growth, operating income growth, free cash flow growth, they've also stabilized. Are we sort of looking at the rearview mirror here? In a couple of years, will these companies overtake Apple? In order to answer that question, I think the first thing that we have to look at is there really isn't any company that is seeing success trying to be like Apple. Samsung has been seeing more success in the components business. You have all of these smartphone manufacturers in China. They're seeing different levels of mediocre success. It's just no one is approaching Apple. I don't think that's really going to change. Even if we go out a couple of years and we assume all these other companies can grow while Apple doesn't, nothing's going to really change in terms of the big picture. In fact, I would go so far as to say, even when you look at Alphabet or Facebook, Amazon, I don't see how those companies are going to be able to match Apple's cash generation. Unless something major happens, unless a different business model comes up, or there are some dramatic change, for example, in terms of Amazon's investment cycle, which I don't think is going to happen. It's just, it, you're going to need so much growth over so many years. By that point, Apple's business model could be completely different. And I think that's the big question here. When Apple's future comes up in discussion, most people ask, well, what's the next big thing? What's the next big product that's going to be as profitable as the iPhone? Because everyone wants to know what's going to drive Apple's revenue growth. How is Apple going to make more money than it does now? I think all that questioning misses the most obvious question. Will Apple need to find another business model in order to enter new industries? Are we going to get to the point where Apple's business model will need to evolve into something else? When you look around Silicon Valley, there's an incredible amount of pessimism concerning Apple's cash machine. Maybe we can even say cynicism. And what a lot of people are saying is that Apple's business model is actually a liability. They point to artificial intelligence. And they say that Amazon, Facebook, Google, Tencent, Badu, those companies actually possess the business models of tomorrow. Amazon Echo, the strategy Amazon's using with that, that's the best way of handling hardware. People think companies that are chasing scale and collecting as much data as possible, those are going to be the companies of the future. They look at Apple sort of as a dinosaur. In some ways, I think those concerns regarding Apple's business model and cash machine are genuine. If you look at the transportation industry, it's not entirely clear that Apple's current business model will do well in that industry. It may need modifications. For example, is the future of transportation actually people buying and leasing cars? Or is it one with ride-sharing? I think the answer is going to impact how Apple would monetize 
It's tools. Again, another word for products. But at the same time, I think that some of these fears are outlandish. This idea of Apple's cash machine imploding because of artificial intelligence, I just don't buy it. The entire thesis for that argument assumes that the world is headed in a completely different direction. Notice what's happening here. You have non-hardware companies making the case that hardware won't matter in the future. Well, of course they're going to say that. In reality, I think the opposite is true. I think over the past decade, what has taken place in technology is that we've given a greater role to design in how we consume and value technology. The mass market is buying into Apple's view of personal technology. This has never happened before. I don't think anything about artificial intelligence changes that reality. Instead of hardware losing value over time, I think the opposite's going to occur. I think hardware will matter more going forward. Look at the wearables industry. That's a prime example. Look at smartphone and tablet components mattering more to how we use augmented reality and artificial intelligence. It's another hole in the hardware won't matter thesis. And of course, you have Apple continuing to invest in this area. It seems like a lot of these Apple implosion scenarios assumes Apple doesn't do R&D, that Apple doesn't really understand future technology trends or waves. Where does this leave us? As it stands today, Apple's business model is producing more access cash flow than any other business model. Even if we assume that Apple's growth slows off and other companies see growth, I don't think that's going to change in the near term. We also have evidence to suggest that Apple's going to use the same business model, the same cash machine for new industries, such as the wearables industry, Apple Glasses. We talked about in last episode how they're inevitable. Apple Glasses fit extremely well into Apple's current business model. That may end up elevating Apple Glasses in terms of potentially being the next big product category that Apple enters. However, I am one of those people who thinks that the Apple cash machine is going to change over time. Apple's business model is going to morph over time. Apple's product line won't stay the same. This is not a company that is going to always make money from iPhone and iPad sales. The thing is, that doesn't mean that Apple's culture will need to change. That doesn't mean that those core beliefs that we talked about earlier the idea of putting the product before profit or remaining focused or using someone else to assemble your products in order to make your balance sheet efficient, that doesn't mean those things go away. Instead, they are very likely to underpin Apple's future business model. And when you take a closer look, I think it's those three key ingredients that actually make the Apple cash machine tick. That's going to do it for today's episode. As I briefly mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I came up with the five major themes for Apple's earnings. The first theme, a huge September iPhone event is coming. The second theme, iPads blow out quarter. We also had Cook's augmented reality exuberance, Apple cash builds, and then the fifth theme, punting the China question. For each one of those themes, 
I went into detail. It sort of took a deep dive. And that represented the first half of my Apple earnings review. For the second half, I went over my full notes from the earnings and the conference call. So I covered 26 different topics. So I think when you combine the major themes with the details, that represents a well-rounded review of Apple's earnings. And I sent all of that to above Avalon members in two daily emails. If you like access to this earnings review and you currently aren't an Above Avalon member, you can become a member. Just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. Sign up is very easy. It's $10 a month or $100 per year. And the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to an exclusive daily email all about Apple. Each email is about 2,000 words. It covers two to three stories. We talk about everything from current news events to what's going on with competitors to covering Apple earnings, keynotes. We go over financial modeling, estimates, strategy, business analysis, really anything that's going on in the world of Apple that I think is worth talking about, we cover in these daily emails. Above Avalon members also have the option of joining the Above Avalon team in Slack. So that's where the archive exists. So that's where you can go and access my Apple earnings review if you missed it. If you enjoy the type of Apple analysis found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you'd be interested in becoming an Above Avalon member. Above Avalon is 100% supported by its members. So if you are a member, thank you for your support. And if you're thinking about becoming a member, I thank you in advance. With that, we will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you later.